Welcome back to the E6 Podcast from Colonial Church. This is a place for candid conversations about what our church community is learning, what's going on in the world, and how it all applies to our lives as Jesus followers. So welcome back, everybody. My name is Brooke, and this is episode number 31. Big 31. Hi, Lauren. How are you? Hey, everybody. Hey. It's good. It's good. Hey, you know what? 31, you just said that, and this popped into my brain. What's that? You didn't know this, Philadelphia Eagles fan. Okay. When I was a child, you just totally outed me here. Uh, you are yes. You know what? <laughs> to all of our listeners, I'm. You know what? I'm sorry. That's okay. I just, no, I'm. I I'm revealed totally you as a that. traitor. We just didn't give it any background. Team. Yeah. Yes. Uh, when I'm I was a child, totally this is going to blow your mind because I'm a I'm a Dallas Cowboys diehard fan. Uh-huh. When uh-huh. I was a child, because my dad was such a diehard Cowboys fan, mm-hmm. I was a fan of everybody else for a few short years as a kid. I okay. I don't know how that works. I had a 31 adolescence. Listen, listen, this is a big deal. Yeah. I had a 31 Wilbert Montgomery Philadelphia Eagles jersey. <laughs> I'm dating myself here, too. They went to the Super Bowl, I think, in 1980. So I was like 10 years old. I had a Wilbert Montgomery jersey, 31. Episode 31. I could be wearing my extra small youth size uh, Wilbert Montgomery jersey right now. Extra small, yeah. Well. On my arm. You don't have that anymore? <laughs> oh, no. No? Oh, no. I'm mm. sure I... When I came to my senses later in life, I probably burned it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, see, so I grew up in Oklahoma City, and you don't have a pro team in Oklahoma City, and so I didn't want to be a Cowboys fan because everybody else was Cowboys fans. And uh, similar, similar sentiment. As right. I get it. I get right. it. Except I didn't grow out of it and become a Cowboys fan. <laughs> well, some things we don't mature out of. That's right. You know, so, you know, I may be immature, or maybe I just like to poke the bear. I don't know, but uh, <laughs> um, I'm a Philadelphia Eagles fan, and at the time, Randall Cunningham, number seven was the jersey that I always wanted. He was fantastic. He was he was so phenomenal. He was, he was the Michael Vick before Michael Vick, right? He was. And I just, I absolutely loved watching him play, and so I became an Eagles fan, and I jumped on the bandwagon at the time, and we were terrible, and we lost all the time, and we never won anything big, and until recently. Until recently. And that was fun. Philly special. That's right. Good old, uh, good old Nick Foles that we then shipped out. He's the, he's the backup by. backup quarterback that everybody wants. That's exactly right. <laughs> who, sorry to, sorry to take us down that football uh, rabbit trail, but you said 31, and I just instantly think Wilbur Montgomery. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> From 1980. I don't know either. Okay. So um, welcome back. We have an interview coming up with uh, Mr. David Knight. If you were here over the weekend, you got to hear a little bit of his story and uh, on, on, on stage this weekend. So we're going to dive into that a little bit more later on yes. but before we get there um our kids all started school yes we've had two days of school we had thursday friday of school um back I'm, at it today yep right back to it today on monday this is the this is the week that we get to the end of it and our kids are just like completely wiped and they all fight with each other and they yell at everything and everyone's <laughs> mad by friday afternoon. yay can't wait i know it's so fun um so what is going on our kids all started and literally within the first two days, we have had what six bomb threats? Yes. At six schools. Yes. So one on at old, old High on Thursday, yes. and then on Friday was uh, Hershey and Ryder and Old High and Kirby and yeah. Barwise. And I think I could be wrong. I think other schools, like like both of our uh, at McNeil, uh, both our yeah. middle school kids are at McNeil, and they didn't have a bomb threat. But I think because of what was going on at these other numerous schools, they still had. Uh, drills really so I know that I didn't hear anything from my kids and so or from from my daughter so I didn't yeah. know if maybe they were just left out and I was like I was she's like the 
she's the rule follower and, and is worried about, is she going to be able to get to her classes on time and all that? And so I just, I just knew that if that had happened, it was going to throw her off and right. she didn't say anything. So well, you should ask her. I, my Rachel came home and said, yeah, we survived a bomb, bomb threat. I'm like, you did too. I thought it was other schools, but to mm. your point, man, my heart goes out specifically to our old high families, uh, students, teachers, faculty, they had both Thursday and Friday, their first two days, they had legitimate bomb threats. That's crazy. And um, just, you know, I, Jesus says, love your enemies. <laughs> There's so many clear ways we're not meant to be angry and mm-hmm. vindictive. Mm. And I just confess, um, I just don't get the stupidity of, I do get the ease of pulling something like that off. It's sure. a phone call. It's right. a, it's a note. That you have to take seriously. It's not like but, you can... And I get we have to take it seriously, especially right. in these times. But man... I hope I heard from a source that I will not name um, <laughs> that they do have a, a primary suspect and this primary suspect does not live in our town, but it's just, I'm just frustrated. I'm sure a lot of people in our community are frustrated with, with that going on. I, I, I hate our kids starting off the new year with that kind of stress. And, right. Um, I mean, that's what I was worried about is the stress added to it. I mean, obviously in the moment, like that's, that's scary, but after the fact and it's like oh it's somebody being stupid or somebody messing around or whatever but then the stress still still lingers with and, the kids that are in the middle of it and frankly even if it's just an empty threat it's not harmless i mean i know right. for a fact from writer which is where my world is my wife teaches there i've got my my uh second daughter emily's there in high school they had an ambulance there one of one of the teachers passed out oh man um, they had more than one student uh pass out because of the heat, they were outside say, yeah, in like 102. Send them out there hour. for 100 degrees. Yeah, they're not dressed for it. They're dressed for the <laughs> air-conditioned classrooms, <laughs> right. and so yeah, it's just frustrating. But yeah. having said that, I guess maybe to turn yes. positive, um, you know, we we live in a community where there's uh, college students and faculty at MSU and Vernon College. We we live in a community where obviously a ton of people have kids in our local schools, uh, a lot of faculty, teachers, administrators. It's no surprise that our world here in Wichita Falls, like a lot of communities, revolves around the school year, around semester schedules. And here we are starting off a new season it's this fall. Um, I'm both as a parent and as a husband of a teacher uh, and as a pastor to a lot of folks involved in their schools. I'm, I'm excited. Uh, I, I see the parents going, okay, finally, yeah, right. <laughs> a little, little breath of fresh air. Uh-huh. I see at the same time, ironically enough, a lot of us going, oh my goodness, I've got to be in four places at the same time. Yep. And this is just the beginning and the stress level and got to get up early again. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, so how did the, uh, you know, besides, besides all of that, how did the first week go for the Jones women? Uh, went well, or well, I guess the first couple of days, Yeah, first, first couple first of days week, but... and my wife, um, my wife, I'm excited, I'll brag, she took on a new leadership role uh, with the math teachers over at Ryder High School. Um, and so she's both thrilled and stressing. Because <laughs> she, she takes those kind of responsibilities really seriously. That's cool. But it's kind of a cool thing. I will shout out to yeah. Carrie Jones, Miss, Miss Jones over at Ryder High School. That's awesome. Um, what about Abby? When does she start? Abby starts school today nice. up at Oklahoma State. 
Nice. So right now she is lost somewhere on campus <laughs> and too afraid to ask for directions. That's right. I'm calling it. I was going to say, did she, so my daughter was, is she went to, she moved to McNeil for the first time. And yep. so it's a huge school compared to That's what she's used school. to, right? It's really big. Especially coming from Franklin or Fowler or any, yes, it's a huge school. So we did, we did meet the teacher last week and we wandered around the school to figure out like, oh, how do we get to her classes? She all that kind of stuff. wings. Because that's what she was worried yes. about. That was her big worry was, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know if I'm, what if I don't get to my class on time? And, you know, because she's a rule follower. And I, I think about like when I was, when I was at Oklahoma State and like, I, I was like, oh, oh, this, this is on the other side of campus. All right, I'll go, I'll go next time. You know? <laughs> I'll go next. Uh, time. I'll, I'll make it next time. You know, so it was like even the first day. Like there was times I was like, I don't know, your I don't daughter, know where this is. Your daughter is not hard like you. My daughter would lose her mind, and so I just <laughs> I, I think about Abby being on that campus because it's a pretty it's a pretty decent sized campus, yes. and trying to figure out where she's going and how to get to the buildings and. And, it's a little uh, overwhelming, and all that. So, did you get? Did you guys? Did you? Did you get the ability? Has she gone through like like to find her buildings and classes? And I stuff? think so. But but God bless her. My Abby is um, <laughs> not just a blonde by choice, um, but she is truly a blonde in her attitude, and uh, she's smart. She just lacks a little bit of. I'm sure he loves sense. you, Abby. If you happen to listen, to this. she's not listening right now. But if she does, she knows I love her like crazy. She's giggling right now because I guarantee you, she's going to look back on. Yes, let's see, Monday. Yep, yep I was lost somewhere on campus. Totally, and totally didn't know where I was directions. going. <laughs> I'll tell you something else funny. I went to so so. Your Jesse and my Hannah are the same age, new right. sixth graders yes. at the at the local middle school, McNeil, and um, the the stress is she also didn't know where she was going, and I had pickup duty on Thursday, first uh-huh. day of school. And so I show up at the, the set aside place where her big sister was supposed to take her. And finally, many minutes after tons of kids have flooded by where I'm sitting at the curb, <laughs> Rachel calls me and says, I can't find Hannah. Oh gosh. <laughs> and I'm not like worried because sure. they're, they're all on this confined on this campus. Right. But Hannah doesn't have a phone. We haven't given her a phone right. yet. We're like the weirdo family that hasn't given our sixth grader a phone. And so I'm like, I don't know how this is going to end up, but I guess yeah. we'll get her eventually. Finally, <laughs> many, I mean, there's nobody outside anymore. Everybody's left the building. And Hannah calls me from a stranger's phone, from a friend's phone, <laughs> and says, where are you? I'm like, I'm waiting for you. Waiting for you. Long story short is I say, well, where are you? I'll come get you. She says, I'm outside on the curb in the front of the building. I'm like, don't move. So I drive, and there's a bunch of cars still in the pickup line. It takes me a good seven or eight minutes to wait through the pickup line. I get all the way to the front of the building curb. There's no Hannah anywhere, and I can't call her. (laughs) And I sit there for a little while. I have to pull up and park. I sit there for a little while, and finally she calls me again. Where are you, Dad? And I'm like, I'm in the front of the building on the curb. She says, no, you're not. No, you're not. And I said, are you where you got dropped off this morning? And she says, yes, in the front of the building. I'm like, that's the the back of the building. (laughs) (laughs) So I cruise around to the back of the school and there she is. So we're like 20 minutes after school's out. Everybody else is gone. And I'm picking up my, my poor kid who's lost and confused. That's hilarious. Well, I did it wrong because we, we had, uh, my daughter is doing, uh, she's joining the swim team. And so that's their PE hour. So she gets out early. And uh, so I went and sat down on, I, I was the one at the curb waiting on her to come out because I thought they got out at at, uh, at, like at two o'clock and it was like 
215, 220. And so I sat out there in the sun just chilling, waiting. <laughs> and I was like, is she ever going to get out? Because we're the same. She doesn't have a phone, so, so I couldn't. I can't text her. We, we, she has an iPod that she bought that, uh, that, that gets, her, gets her some of that freedom. But, <laughs> but yeah. But, hey, so this cool thing happened. Um, so uh, both of our daughters went to the... Um, the bridge that we that we that are yes here at Colonial where right our, we take our fifth graders uh-huh. moving up into middle school right so the so the the, the children's ministry partnering with the That's a great group with of the student kids ministry that are moving up yeah um and so and so both of our daughters went through that and I guess at the end of it they talked about ways that they can start to serve as um, not kids anymore. And uh, and so they were talking about kids going into the kid into the, the like the kindergarten room or the preschool room or or first grade and um, and in some different ways. And so I, I had mentioned to my daughter that the that the the cafe the the coffee bar in the cafe was an option. Oh, yeah, yeah. And uh, and so she came with me this weekend. And I saw while her serving. While there. the rest of them that were in there, that was way cool. Yeah, she she jumped in behind the cafe or behind the behind the coffee bar with with uh, with Nick and and uh, she loved it. She was bribed by. Uh, apparently, he was he was gonna let her have a coffee, and she was like, "Well, I don't drink coffee." And he was like, well, "I don't know, you want a soda?" And so she got her a Dr Pepper, and so she was like, I, "Right there, I, I knew she was." She, Lori was saying, "Dang it, Lori, I didn't give a Dr Pepper, and now she's bribed and sold, and she's gonna be stuck there behind the cafe uh, instead of in kids now because." There's Dr. Pepper involved, and uh, she had a blast. So I love it. Yeah, so I asked. Fun. I actually asked my Hannah. I'm like, "You want to go serve with Jesse at the coffee bar?" And she's like, "No." <laughs> and I don't, awesome. I'm shocked because she loves Jesse. Uh, I told Jesse, I was like, "You need to go see if Hannah will go do it with her." Maybe she will. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe she will. All right. So I got a question that came in a couple of days ago, and I thought this would be good before we dive into the message um, and then get to our interview in a little bit. Uh, the question came in. It says, why do you think there are fewer people attending church now than before the pandemic? Interesting. So we're totally changing topics here. That is that is a but that's a good question. I think that's on people's minds. These why? Days. Why is it different now than it was than it was um, a year and a half ago? Back in back in February and March of 2020, what's so different mm. between it between now and I would love I would love to know what you think too. I, I have a couple of thoughts. I've been talking to other pastors about this, um, with rare exception. Uh, if people don't already know this, because I don't know how many people have different have friends at different churches. Mm. Because I've in connection, I'm, I'm connected to a number of other local pastors. I will say uh, this is a common experience, like. Mm. Churches' numbers across our community are down. Churches' numbers across our state and our nation are down. And uh, um, Barna, which does some great research and studies and surveys, right. came out with a recent survey that showed for the first time uh, in recorded history anyway, I don't know how far back they can have accurate <laughs> surveys of That's our right. country, but for the first time in, 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 in several decades, the percentage of people in America who say they're going to church regularly is below half. Mm. So we could say up until fairly recently, well, most people in America go to church regularly as far as self-reporting goes. Now for the first time we can say most people are not going to church, which begs the same question. Why is that? Um, Do we have fewer Jesus followers? Uh, Is our culture, I think on one hand is our culture becoming more pluralistic? Are there, are there, uh, drops across our denominations specifically really hurting. Yes, they're all the numbers are going down, including Southern Baptists, uh, the largest denomination. 
Um, so on one hand, it's a reflection of our, I think, of our culture changing, uh, which I think is really hard for people who want to cling to this hope mm. that we have a Christian nation, that right. we have people all around us that want the same things. And what we're finding out more and more is, no, we've got a lot of people around us that want different things, that, that have different values and different beliefs. Um, if we do indeed follow Europe in a lot of ways culturally by... Which it seems like we usually do. I mean, in, in some specific a, yeah, ways. Yeah. Uh, the church over there is, is uh, on paper, is dead. Yeah. The, the, the cathedrals, the beautiful buildings mm. are empty. They are tourist attractions. Uh, it was that way when I was there in the 80s. It's that way mm. now, for sure. Uh, n- now, does that mean the movement of God's people is, is dying? No. Right. There's some great stories of what God's doing in different ways. But, but on paper, we're talking about on paper, the numbers of people, butts in the seats, as, right. as we like to say. The number of the things we can measure is definitely down. I'll, I'll, sp- I'll say a couple opinions as far as colonial goes and, and our church at large here in Wichita Falls. I think that the the research shows us that before the pandemic, uh, the average regular church attender was going 1.7 times a month. Uh, that's an, again, mm. that's some Barna research. So even our quote regular church attenders are still less than two. We're less than half the time. Yeah, coming on Sundays. I think that the pandemic just slowed all that down. We lose habits. I don't know if anybody's worked out. And they have that habit of working out <laughs> two, three, five times a week. Right. And, and then you don't go for a few weeks. It's really hard to get, even though you know it's good for you, you know right. it's what you need. You even crave it at some level. And it's really hard. It's really hard to regain those habits. I think for, the last thing I'll say, I think for a lot of people in our church culture, especially here in the Bible Belt, uh, we have a lot of um, consumers a lot of spectators. Yeah. Um, and I don't mean that judgmentally. I just mean that's where they're coming from spiritually. Uh, I, I want my itch scratched. I want to get something. Um, I don't know that a church service by and large with speakers that are never going to be as good as somebody you can get online these days, uh, with music that I'm terribly biased. I think we have amazing musicians and, and quality music, but it's, it's never going to be as good as that studio album. And right. It's not, it's not the produced it's, thing that it's you not get the produced right. thing. And I think, I think that if you are kind of engaged, you're kind of connected, then the pandemic was enough to make a lot of people go. Eh. Yeah. Um, what I have found to spin it positively is the people that are coming now, the people that are engaged are hungry and mm. are wanting more. And uh, I choose to dwell on the positive as much as it alarms me and concerns me and saddens me. I choose to go, man, we got, we got, I don't know how many we had this Sunday, the Sunday before last, we had 375 people that by and large, I just sense are wanting community, wanting to learn more about the Lord, wanting to follow him more faithfully. Uh, I think there's less incentive to come spectate and consume right now. So it's certainly only exacerbated our glaring conviction here at Colonial. Groups, 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 groups. Discipling relationships. It's not about the big show. It's not about the big yeah. uh, half circle of everybody staring in the same direction with the production. It's as, as important as those weekly gatherings are, and I really believe they're important. They're important for all of us. It's ultimately about 
rubbing shoulders, doing life with some other brothers and sisters in Christ and growing and pressing each other into Christ-likeness, um, training deliberately, as we like to say here. Um, so let me shift gears. What do you think? you have any affirming thoughts to what I said or, or even disagreements or, or a, a different idea of why do you think we have less people uh, specifically coming on Sunday mornings across the church, across the church of the city and our country? Yeah, I think I think I think I agree with you in in a lot of that. Um, I, I even think to, you know talking about the cathedrals and the the large churches that nobody's going to anymore, or a handful of people go to that are trying to figure out do, do we close our doors and you know that kind of thing that happens. I think that's been going on for you know for a while. Mm. We've had we I think about previous churches that I've been a part of where it's like we're, we're not building a grand building. We're just grabbing the local Walmart that used to be a Walmart, and now we you know, did something in that. And, and so all those, you know, it's, it's that shift of mindset from this grand building to, well, we're just going to be, you know, functional, functional. What is it, what do we need to make it happen and be and and, and do that. And, um, and so I think, I think on that, on that scale, it's, it's been going for a while. I think the, the pandemic for, for me, just looking at it, 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 it's like, I think it did, it did shed a lot of, um, a lot of the people that, that, was like, yeah, I'm, I'm attached. It was the cultural Christian. Yeah. You know, the person that's like, well, I, I, I've always gone to church or I've, I've, I'm, you know, I feel like I'm supposed to go to church. And so we do it, but maybe it's, maybe it's just not something that really plays into my life all that much. Um, you know, it's a thing that we do on Sunday and then we go back to life. Um, we go back to, to normal life, to work life, to, to, to our family life. And, and church is just one of the things that we do. Um, I think of, um, you know, uh, I think it was Sky Jatani said something about um, uh, that church used to be like what we did, and now it's just something that we choose to attend. Mm. And uh, for, I was like, man, for that, a lot of people that felt people. that felt really, really accurate for yeah. for where we've come from. Is you know, it, it's like, man, how many people can we get in the building? And and right. we have this many people that come to our stuff, and it's like, well, that's great. But now we see, you know. Okay, well, how many people are actually connected? How many people yeah. are, um, you know, whether they're looking for that connection or they already were, the, you know, we just got a whole a whole bunch of people that that as they get to the other side of that, the other side of the pandemic, you realize, ah, you know, it probably wasn't that big of a deal in my life. Um, you know, if it's not something that you come to the other side of a pandemic a year, year and a half later and say, man, gosh, we got to get back in that. It's mm. been a long time. Mm. Are you looking at it saying... It wasn't really that impactful on my life in the first place. Yeah, I think that's true for some people. I, I I had another thought. I think that it shouldn't surprise us as we look across our culture. There is less and less trust in institutions. Yeah. Uh, look at how polarized our politics are. Yeah. Um, even the folks who think the other side, the uh, the institution on the other side, is is completely untrustworthy. Right even still aren't totally sure their side's trustworthy. Well, know? I mean, how many how many times have we watched just in the past year or two or three, we've watched, you know, large institutions of, you know, by that are that are that are the church. That are the quote, church. That are failing. That are their leaders are yeah. are, are tanking. Yes, too, we've had you know? moral failures in different ways of some big name leaders mm-hmm. that um, I can't help but think that impacts people's distrust, even of the local Mm-hmm. expression of the church that's not that big that doesn't have any celebrities we certainly don't have any celebrities and yet i think that watching these celebrity christians fall and and then coupling that with just institutions in general that seem untrustworthy if that's a word for sure um 
Well, I mean, even even then, you, if you you know the person that that is connected to the local church, that's connected to to um, whatever their expression is, like those things happen, and you don't. I don't. I don't think those people are rocked by it as much yes. as somebody that's that's not really connected. But if you're not really attends. connected, it it doesn't help. <laughs> well, and how much? I mean, how easy is it to say? Well, if if that's the person that I know, then how different is that over yeah, here right. with with something that I you know with with a church that I'm not really connected to, and I don't really know the ins and outs of. I don't right. know the leaders. Seems seems easy to just kind of lump it all together. It it may be. I don't know how many of our people need to hear this from me as, as one of our leaders here at Colonial, but it just doesn't discourage me for, for whatever that's worth. There, there are a lot of my friends around me that are discouraged. There's certainly pastors that are very discouraged. There are, um, they're just different brothers and sisters in Christ that are very discouraged by the numbers, by what we see the church, uh, how we see the church being devalued or, or less sure. valued across culture. I'm not talking just about Colonial. It just doesn't discourage me. And I don't know if I've just been gifted growing up. <laughs> I mean, I, I was a part of a very small church in Europe when nobody around us was pursuing Christ. You yeah. know, I fell in love with Jesus in college and I went to some big things, you know, some big events. Uh, but I have seen the beauty of the church with all of its dysfunction. And we're a hospital for sinners. You know, I, I love that statement. Whoever said it first many, many years ago, we're not yeah. a we're not a, a you know oasis for for perfect people we are a hospital for sinners it's broken it's supposed to be messy it's supposed to let us down um augustine has one of my favorite quotes about the church she is a whore and she is my mother mm. um i love that because that to me captures the church it, she's unfaithful she's messed up she's dirty she's disappointing which is true yeah. And all at the same time, she is the reason I have life. She is the reason I have discovered Jesus. She is the expression of, in, in his mystery, by choice, it's, he's God's expression here on the planet. We get to be a part of it. Uh, I, I don't, it's, maybe it's a gift of getting older too. I don't find my worth in how many people are coming. Uh, my flesh loves it. Right. I was if, we, say, if we quadrupled in yeah. size, of course, my flesh, Woo. my my ego would be like, woohoo! You Look know, I'd be high fiving people because that's my honesty. But sure. at my core, I just I want us to be faithful. And back to sharing boldly this weekend, we talked about it. I tried to say that I don't know how well it came out, but we can't control how people respond to the gospel. Yeah, we can't control the numbers of people that are baptized and excited about following Jesus, what we can control is sharing boldly. We can control faithfully opening our mouths and in, engaging people purposefully uh, in word and deed. And uh, I just want to dwell on that. I want to focus on that and let the results land squarely on the God of the universe. And that's what I like. I, I think for me, I'm not, I'm not disheartened by it or, or discouraged by it. Like to me, it's, it's a, um, it, it's kind of like that refining, you know, we, we like to say the refining fire. Maybe that's just the, the church that I grew up in. That was, that was refining our, the, the fire. refining fire, you know, but I got song lyrics coming up. I know I do too. So I was like, I'm not going to sing right now. <laughs> um, as y'all know, Brooke used to be a, a worship pastor for a while. I don't know if our listeners know that you were, you, you led the church, um, just 
publicly in, in uh-huh. music. I don't think people know that you're even that's anything okay. more than tone deaf. That's okay. Know? Yeah, I, I'm totally I could okay. Be tone deaf. Rabbit trail. Continue. Yeah. No. But 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 refining that's, fire. Yeah. Like I think I think watching the watching the church go through this and it is is in in some ways and and I hope a a good thing. It's 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 getting rid of the facade of this is what church is. Church is is the attendance, uh, a big building, as many people as possible. You know, singing some songs, listening to somebody talk, and then going back to our lives. Right? To me, it's like the pandemic has done this, and and culture has been moving in this way. To me, the 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 uh, the thing that that I think is is getting people that that some people are disheartened by or discouraged by is that oh my gosh, but but the the attendance is falling away. That people aren't buying in. It's like okay, but to me that says now the church has to not necessarily reinvent church or whatever, but now we have to say okay, what do we have to do to reach culture? Because we can't just do the same thing that we've always done. Yes, if it's no longer doing what it did. And and you know, I love that. We have I love to take we, a step in the new direction. I love it that we are forced to rethink things. Right. Uh, that's. That's what anything meaningful in life, you know, in different seasons, you just have to rethink methodology mm-hmm. um, because we don't have to rethink, does this matter? Like, I love that. Like, I remember when I worked for Edward Jones and I was blatantly selling something. Right. I was selling investment advice. I was selling investment opportunities. For the first couple of years of doing that, at some level, I felt like I was selling something that I wasn't really sure anybody needed. Mm. That's that's an awful thing. If yeah, anybody's absolutely. ever tried to sell something that they're not really believing, you're upselling. Yes, upselling something that's but, more expensive. But it than finally you. clicked for me, and it shouldn't have taken this long. It took me a couple <laughs> years. It finally clicked for me that most people have no clue what to do with their money. Yeah, most people need financial coaching. You put like, it in a shoebox and under the mattress. Absolutely, right? and that's awful decision making. And I, <laughs> I finally, I literally finally started knocking on strangers' doors with a thought in my mind. Oh my goodness, for their sake, I hope they let me in. Mm. Oh my goodness, for their sake, I hope they let me help them. And shocker, my sales went up. <laughs> right. Um, but I enjoyed the heck out of it because I got to the place where I'm like, they need my help. Not yeah. in a yeah. arrogant kind of way, but in a in a heavy hearted kind of way. Right. And I've been there with the church for many, many years. Like I I'm sad for people that are un- disengaged or unengaged. Mm-hmm. I'm sad for people who are only coming sporadically. I'm sad for people who aren't in groups, aren't experiencing life-on-life discipleship. I'm not judging them. I'm literally sad for them. And so maybe that's a good way of wrapping up that, that topic of, you know, why are the numbers down? Well, these are some reasons, I think. It doesn't change what we do or why we do it. Well, and I think I think that lends to you know our sharing boldly and why that's a struggle. Yes. You know, so if we talk about the radical minimums and um, you know why why is it hard to share your faith or to uh, you know to to be able to have that conversation and. You know that makes me that makes me wonder. Like, do we need to have a, a come to Jesus talk and and mm. think about our hearts? Like, if we don't feel like that conversation is important enough to have, yep. What are we saying about our own faith? I agree. That's if 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 you had to get to a point at Ed, at Edward Jones, right? So yes. Said, yes. Uh, if if you had to get a, at, get to a point there that you had to realize, oh, what I am offering you is something that you need, not just an add on. It's not just this extra thing. It's not just a filler. It's not me just trying to make money off of you. Right. It's a thing that you need. Yes. And it will make your life better. Yes. It will change things for your life. If we can't look at 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 sharing our faith boldly. In similar light, okay, 
we have to realize that what we have and what we have experienced in our lives in following Christ in in the love that Jesus gives us and and yeah. shows us if that's not life transforming and to the point that we are willing to tell the people around us that I, I don't want you to miss out on this right then I, you're hitting on the head then what if, are we doing if hypothetically I bought a new Jeep like I'm I'm coveting your Jeep if I bought a new Jeep and the tops off and the tires are big and it's lifted and I'm just pinching myself that I got my dream car. What am I going to do? I'm driving it to my friend's house. Yeah. I'm driving it to somebody else's house. I'm driving it to work going, did you guys see, did you guys see mm. what I just got? Like, I don't even think that's a, a, a leap. Like if, if something happens in a, that's, that's a stupid car, you know? Yeah. If I just had a kid, I'm showing everybody in the office pictures. Yeah. I'm, I'm Facebooking it, you know, yeah. I'm, 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 I haven't even been on Instagram in four months and I'm posting Instagram pictures, you know, like whatever it is, I'm, I can't stop talking about right. this great thing that happened in my life. I do think there's something as we bring in David in a few minutes, people who come to Christ later in life as adults mm. who have that before Jesus mm -hmm. time period at length, mm -hmm. I think that they have such a better picture of, oh my goodness, how hurt I was before, how lonely I was before, how empty my life was before. They are the most unapologetic, loud, yeah. you know, celebratory storytellers because they're like, how can you not, right. how can you not share this with people? Right. And I think that folks who grew up in the church, it's difficult. It's really difficult because we, a can't remember that much of life before Jesus. Mm hmm. And B, worst case, we're kind of inoculated. That's what I was going to say. The, is it, the joy of right. discovery of Jesus, and it just becomes commonplace yes, because it's like I, this is normal. I think that's tough, especially here in the Bible Belt. I, I'm yep. telling you, after just serving in Denver for a few years, it's different out there. Mm. Like when when everybody around you is not a Christian, the thought of am I going to share boldly or not doesn't mean you still lack confidence at times or or wuss out sometimes or. But the, the idea of why would I keep this to myself is different. I think in the Bible Belt, we really struggle with yeah. this because we also make this terrible assumption, well, everybody around me is Christian. I mean, there's right. fish on all the cars still, and that's, right. how dated is that? You know, there's, <laughs> there's, everybody's got K-Love on their car stereo. Why would I share my faith boldly? Right. Everybody at work talks about going to church. Right. They might even go to church regularly. Why would I, why would I talk about Jesus boldly? And I think... Maybe this Barna research wakes us up a little bit. Maybe this decrease in attendance across the country wakes us up a little bit to, oh my goodness, not everybody's a Christian. In fact, most people aren't. Mm. I think that might, uh, I hope, serve to be an awakening for mm -hmm. us to share boldly. So, okay, so we're finishing up a radical minimum series. This is uh, we, we had we had the first radical minimum listening intently. We're asking two questions every day: What is God saying, and what should we do about it? Um, we had the second radical minimum training deliberately, and of course, these are not linear as we've talked about. Right. Uh, we learn from somebody, and we're investing in somebody about following Jesus, which plays into uh, even the fourth one. Uh, that we we're talking about today. Giving sacrificially, we, sacrif uh, we sacrificially give to our family and to our faith family. We are engaging purposefully with, we engage in a purposeful meal, drink, or activity with someone each week. And then this week, uh, we are sharing boldly, we share a story, or we pray boldly over someone each week. Mm. And so I'm curious, as we talked about this, I, I, I think maybe, um, I'd like to think maybe this would be helpful, and maybe that's just in my mind. I'd love to hear from you. Um, what are some ways that you have seen people share their faith boldly 
in a positive way? And what are some ways that you've seen people share their faith uh, boldly in a not positive way? Mm. Because I, I think I think it's easy to, especially for for people that have grown up in the church or that have lived in the church for a long period of time, where it, it has become commonplace. Yeah, it's easy to see. Ooh, I don't want to do that. I don't want anybody to see me like that or to to uh, to think that following Jesus looks like what this person is displaying and screaming at people. Yeah. And so then it becomes a retraction of, well, then I'm not going to do anything. And so we, it's easier to move away True. from not doing anything, right? So True. it plays into it. So what are some ways, maybe maybe we start that off, what are some ways that you've seen mm. the bold sharing of faith in a, in a poor way? In a poor way? The first thought that comes to mind is any of us who just grab a one method for everybody. Okay. Uh, some people, we, we, I think, I think to, to really share boldly, we, we have to strive to understand who we're talking to. Mm -hmm. And I have, I have encountered people in my life like David, frankly, really smart, intellectual types, readers, skeptical people, thinkers that me just being their friend and, and kind of letting it come naturally over time is not nearly as effective as, as what we would call apologetics. Mm -hmm. Like, Offering here's three books yeah. that have really changed my life: *Mere Christianity* by C.S. Lewis, *Reason for God* by Tim Keller. You know, there, there's there's books that I can hand to people like a David, like my best friend from high school, who's a, a retired JAG in the Air Force, who's a thinker. Mm. He filled up two le yellow legal pads with notes from *Mere Christianity* when I <laughs> gave it to him. I was his friend for years. That wasn't good enough. He needed some facts. He yeah. needed some apologetics. Yeah. Right. Um, but if I do that with everybody. Uh, there's a ton of people that are like, uh, that's what I, I'm not reading that. I can't feel or, the or they get to page three and they're like, I had to look up four words. That's yeah. not for me. <laughs> you know, uh, there's other people that I think we need to just strive to spend time with and listen to mm -hmm. and ask thoughtful questions. Um, comes to mind too, uh, where one size doesn't fit all when I was on a summer project in college as a new Christian with what's now called Crew, uh, was then called Campus Crusade for Christ. And we walked up to complete strangers and tried to share boldly yeah. the good news with them. We used a little pamphlet. Mm -hmm. um, and I had the full gamut of experiences. I had a couple people that summer break down in tears and literally say the words, why has nobody ever told mm. me this before? Yeah, Which I can never forget. Right. And they just prayed to accept Christ right there. I had um, more than one person, probably if I'm honest, closer to half a dozen, just cuss me out, <laughs> yell at me as I'm walking away. Right. Um, Sorry. In part because they were so mad at other church people right. or religious people. Um, but it's it's evidence that one size does not fit all. Yeah. You know. Um, it also that experience made me go. I want to spend time with people. I don't want to walk up to strangers. Right. And that's that's my bent. Mm -hmm. if, if I could shift to doing it well, I think it's starts first and foremost. Like, forget about the guy who's got the John 316 sign up in the stadium. Right. For, forget about the guy on the corner yelling uh -huh. and screaming fire and brimstone. Um, it starts, what is our sphere of influence? Yeah. Every single one of us yeah. has a good-sized list. Even us most introverted people has a good-sized list of people that I live next door to, cross the street from, that I go to work with, and I actually interact with off and on all day, that I'm going to school with, and I see regularly that I'm already living in the house with, you know, my dad, my mom, my, my kid, my sibling. And I think it starts right there. How do I live out my faith first and foremost? Cause they're mm -hmm. all watching 
and how do I ask good questions? How do I listen and, and try to bring into that already natural friendship and relationship and conversation talking about the centrality of Jesus in our lives? Yeah. Um, I think that's how we do it well. And I also think that's why it doesn't have to be really hard. Um, because I think if we think it's walking up to strangers on the beach mm-hmm. or we think it's putting a billboard over our shoulders on a street corner and yelling, or we think it's making a fool of ourselves in some public way, I think 98% of us go, I'm out. Yeah. That's not what it is. Yeah. It's, it's taking the relationships we already have and, and letting them see Jesus and hear about Jesus in our lives. Yeah, and I think that's a huge distinction in 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 the ways that we that we at least imagine what this looks like you know if you talk about engaging purposefully and training deliberately in the ways that we're doing that with other people that's not a that's not a go out on the street corner or um in front of uh you know uh, whatever thing that you're angry about that you you know that you're holding a sign about or or what you know it's 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 not the guy standing on a soapbox screaming at people and um, and at the same time, it's also, you know, I think about, I think about when I took a, a mission trip to Mexico at one point, and it's not the going door to door and knocking on somebody's door that speaks a different language that you don't understand their culture very well. And you can't, you got somebody translating for you and you're like, Hey, this is Jesus. Do you want to accept Jesus? Okay, bye. And then you're gone. It's like, what are we doing with that person? You know, we're, we this is this is meant to be relational and meant to be um, in the context of that. And so that's what I think is is so different. And that's the distinction is that yeah. if if you can't build a relationship with them, then you know sharing becomes a whole lot more difficult. And it becomes into those other those other categories that I think is one of those that's where you know we don't want to we don't want to touch that i don't want to touch that i don't want to be that i don't want to do that so it's easy for me to not do it yeah so can you think back to um to people that in your life that have uh that have have been good examples for this for you absolutely um absolutely i've got a few faces in my brain uh i think mostly it's the people who if i can be this general it's the people who, yes, they felt and believed they were different. They were set apart from the world. They were Christians who saw the world differently, thought differently, acted differently. But all at the same time, if I could put it this way, they weren't complete weirdos <laughs> that were inaccessible to their neighbors, who were unapproachable by what I would just call normal day-to-day people around them. Yeah. Um, it made me want to be like that, mm. you know? Um, I also think that the people that I, that come to mind right now are the folks who made you just go, man, everybody's worked up about this, but that guy's not. Yeah. Man, everybody responded to that crisis with some anger. This guy didn't. Mm. Uh, I have a few people in my brain like that. I don't, I don't know that they would say that about me. I sure hope so. <laughs> but it makes me think about what, what Peter wrote when he said, you know, if someone asks you for the reason for your hope, always be ready to answer. Uh, so that speaks to, A, preparation. Like, let's take seriously being ready with some words. But it also speaks to if someone asks you for the reason for your hope. If someone goes, okay, you're a teacher at the local elementary school, and you're not just sweet and kind to students 
you have a love for these people that mm. seems different. Where's that coming from? Why are you not overwhelmed with, with the stress? Why are you overwhelmed on a heart level for the plight of these families? Yeah. Where's that come from? And you get to go, I think I'm learning to see people like God sees them because mm. his heart breaks for the least of these. Yeah. His, he says, let the little children come to me and people get to get to, invite us to even speak. I don't think we should wait necessarily for an invitation all the time. <laughs> I don't want us to be passive. But that's back to the, it's back to, it's not, it's not cookie cutter. It's not the it's same not thing for cutter. everybody. No, that is the mess. I, th- I think we all crave in different ways, simplicity, clarity, handles. Right. Um, that's in part why we grab these five radical minimums. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to sharing boldly, for example, you got to be creative and and flexible and and think what do these people need to hear now uh how do i live in such a way that i get invited into these conversations right how do i overcome a lack of invitation with some of the people i have influence over and share boldly mm. um lord do you want me to give him this book today mm-hmm. lord do you want me to ask him to lunch and ask him one hard question uh god do you want to use this crisis they're going through to prompt through me, maybe asking bigger, deeper questions. Um, yeah, I do want to take some time because we're about to sit with David and talk about praying over our, our, our radical minimum of sharing boldly. If you could read that out loud again, do you have that in front of you? Cause it's not just about yes. uh, sharing our story. Yeah. We share boldly. We share our story. Uh, we share our story or pray boldly over someone each week. Yeah. Well, in short, uh, I, I said we were going to talk about this more, um, I think we've gone a little longer than I'd hoped uh, with just some good, healthy conversation about other things. But I do want to mention this. I am convicted. We, as leadership here at Colonial, are convicted. That's why we put these words on paper, is to include not just sharing our story, but to pray boldly over people, is time and time again, we get asked by people on our left or right to pray for something. Time and time again, we say we're going to pray for someone or over something. And I would venture to say, if I could be so mm-hmm. bold, uh, 98% of the time, <laughs> we maybe do it later. Uh, and maybe. We, and, they, and, and even if we did it most of the time later, the other party doesn't know if we did or not. Yeah. You know, Let's say we did it 100% of the time later. They still don't get the sense of, I, I think they did, or I know they did. Um, I think I have been convicted about, man, right there, Maybe not with the non-Christian who might think you're already a little bit of a weirdo. <laughs> um, they mention something hard, and you just go, "Let's pray about that right now." Maybe, yeah. maybe that's a mistake. Yeah. But apart from that, I think I think when someone says, "Hey, would you pray for my brother?" Uh, we've got somebody in our our group right now. Pray for my brother. He's going really hard time with COVID. And instead of saying, "Yes, I will," say, yeah. "Let's pray right now." Yeah. Let's pray together. Yeah. Uh, when someone in my group me thread says, Hey, would you pray for this family in our community who is going through this and just lost their daughter? And yes, of course, absolutely. I will. But I even, I, I'd like to think more often than that, I type in there. I just did. Yeah. I'm, I'm praying right now yeah. for them. And I think that's what we're calling our people to do is if we believe there is more than what we can see, if we believe spiritual warfare is real, if we believe that that God tells us, pray continually. You know, Paul writes that, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, carry each other's burdens, pray continually, then let's just do it. Let's yeah. just be people of prayer. Even at the slight risk of being a little weird <laughs> or, or throwing somebody off, 
I think we keep it brief. I think we are just intentional. I, I love when someone goes, yes, can I pray for you right now? Part of me, my shoulders slump because I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I got to be somewhere in four minutes. <laughs> but I love it when somebody goes, God, I just cry out to you for Lauren and what he's going through right now. Please yeah. help. Yeah. Amen. And I'm like, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> we just went to the throne together. Right. You know? So that's my very short take on praying boldly. If we go to Paul, he gives us examples, Ephesians 1, Ephesians 3, of just praying boldly mm-hmm. over these folks. Uh, Philippians 1, Colossians 1, he's praying over these different people groups. Uh, we need to be doing more of that. I really believe that. Well, and I think I think you get back to, um, in, in in some cases, it feels like thoughts and prayers. You know, I'm going to... Yes. I, I, oh, yeah, totally, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that later. I'm going to do it right now. I'm going to do it later. And But even even then, asking them, hey, can I... Can I pray for you? I'm gonna I'm gonna pray for you later, but I'm can I pray for you now? Like, yeah, you're giving them the option to say, eh, not right now. I gotta go. Or, well, and or I, whatever, I think I mentioned this a long time ago, maybe even on the podcast, and I, I think certainly on stage. But but Pastor Jordan has really impacted me in a way that I didn't I, in this area that I didn't anticipate because I have I have a I don't don't be a weirdo complex. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think because I just grew up around some church weirdos, and and I just almost to a fault don't want to come off, you know totally different. That's, I think it's a flaw of mine for sure. But, you know, I've been at a restaurant table at least six, eight, 10 times with Jordan over the last couple of years. Yeah. And every time when we meet our waiter or waitress, he specifically says, he calls them by name and he says, Hey, we're about to pray over our meal. How can we pray for you? Yeah. Every single time so far. And I don't know if we're in the Bible Belt. I get it. We're in a small town. I get it. So who knows what that would, how that would come across in San Francisco, you know? <laughs> but every single time the person, their eyes light up and they're like, thank you for asking. Would you just pray? I'm trying to figure out what's next for me mm. with school or with work. Or, and we pray right there for them. And I, maybe not even with, while they're there, they walk away and we pray. Yeah. And I just think that's so cool. People, it'll, it'll be really rare, I think, when people go, no, 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 I don't. I don't yeah, want no, you I'm good. to pray for me because it's it's expression of concern, sure. and care. So, well, I think it's it's it, being here at Colonial has has introduced me to a whole lot of people that live that way, um, and that's not something that I've been exposed to very much, you know, prior to being here, which is really cool. Yeah. I think about Martin Beck that we talked about last week. You yes, know, um, that Martin was one of those guys that it, he embodied this. He did. He did. He was gonna. He was gonna stop whatever and pray. I think about times that we've been in staff meeting and somebody's talking about something, or or somebody gets a text message and they said, "Oh man, this is what's going on with somebody." And several of our staff members will just be like, "Hey, can we? Let's just stop and pray." Let's just stop, forget the meeting right now. Let's just stop and pray. Um, you know, hey, ah, you know what? Our service can be, we can be a couple minutes late. Let's stop and pray. We need to pray over this or whatever. And so it's it's something that I see embodied um, frequently where it's it's not an inconvenience to pray. It's it's not an interruption. It's the, it's this is what we're supposed to do. It's yeah. like, this is, this is normal. Like, let's stop and do this right now. Yep. So I, I really think that's cool. Love it. Okay. We have an interview coming up. Um, you don't want to miss this. David Knight has got a crazy cool story. And I think uh, if you're a Christian, you're gonna be encouraged. You're gonna go, wow, look what God has done. If you're not a Christian, if you're still kicking the tires, you just need to hear David's incredible experience. Uh, He hit some real lows in his life, a lot of loss, and he has discovered redemption and healing. And 
he's one of those guys sharing boldly. You can't shut him up. You cannot shut this guy up talking about Jesus because Jesus has changed his life. So uh, Merry Christmas in August because you get to hear this story. <laughs> All right, so we're going to pause. We're going to go to this interview. Um, Lauren, before we do, what can we expect for next week? We are looking at something new next week. We're starting a new teaching series that I'm really excited about. If you want to step into uh, the book of Acts, I strongly encourage reading. I think if you just read the first couple chapters, this week and next week, I think you're going to be set up to really enjoy where we're going. I also want to go ahead and tell you, we're going to have a party this Sunday. Uh, unless the numbers change, I think we have 11 people being baptized and we get to celebrate death to life. We get to celebrate uh, God is on the move and he is changing people's hearts and minds, kids, adults, both services will get to celebrate. So yeah, I'd say that's in short what you get to look for. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. Well, as always, Lauren, thank you for being here. Um, this has been the E6 podcast from Colonial Church. You can always get more information from Colonial at colonialchurch.com, or you can download our app from the App Store or the Google Play Store. Uh, we always love to hear you, hear from you, hear your questions, and bring that in. So send us your feedback to podcast at colonialchurch.com. That's our email. Uh, thank you for listening, and we will pick up the conversation again next week. And hang on just a minute, and we'll be right back with an interview. We've been looking forward to this. I'm here with, still with Brooke. Brooke and I are here together along with the esteemed, the Esquire, if you will. Uh, am I using those? What's the term? What are the letters behind your name? David Knight. What a great last name. K-N-I-G-H-T. As in shining armor. As in shining armor. <laughs> As in the Knight Rider, Thanks, if you will. Yeah. Yes. David Knight. What's the, what are the... The letters behind your name as a longtime uh, attorney? Well, you first have to have uh, my undergraduate degree, which for me would be a BA. Okay. And then it would be JD. BA, comma, JD. JD, yeah. Wow. And then JD stands for uh, Doctor of Jurisprudence. Doctor of Jurisprudence. So really, it's Dr. Knight. It, you could call if it If we that. wanted to if you really blow smoke. To. Yeah. Gotcha. Thank you. David, uh, I said it in front of our people yesterday. Uh, at our church and for anybody watching online, you have become uh, not just a brother to me in my new quote unquote new church these last three years, uh, but you've become a friend. Uh, I love that we have enjoyed some one-on-one -on -one time, uh, typically over a beverage. Uh, I love that you have strong opinions and ideas and all at the same time you display such humility in the way you trust us as leadership and fan the flames of what we're doing. I just can't say strongly enough that I'm grateful for you, David. So thanks for your friendship. Thank you for being my friend, brother. Mm. I love too. people. We probably won't get into this at all today, but I love that uh, you have modeled in my life what it means to disagree with grace and humility and love. And I want you to hear me say that in front of our folks, our listeners, um, because I think I think as Christians we don't do that enough. Well, I like to re recall what uh, Henry David Thoreau said. He said, "You can disagree with me without having to despise me." And Thoreau that said it. that. That's great Thoreau. stuff. That's it. Genius. Love it. You can disagree with me without having to despise me. That's right. Mm. Love it. 
Well, we want to hear more of your story. So I want to take some time. Uh, if we had the four minute version yesterday, maybe we can have the 20 minute version today. Okay. Uh, tell us more uh, and, and speak to the folks that weren't with us yesterday. Okay. Don't worry about repeating yourself or cause you're just going to embellish some. I know, um, expand, I guess is the word, not embellish. Uh, who were you in the first four decades of life? You didn't come to Christ till 44 spoiler alert. Who were you and what was life like? Okay. Um, I think the best way for me to answer that would be to tell you what happened and the context of my life at that time. Okay. If that's permissible. Yeah, absolutely. All right. On September the 8th, 1997, uh, my life was changed. At that time, uh, I was divorced. I had been married for 12 years. I had two baby girls, but uh, I was 44 years old. But I was an atheist. I had lived my entire life without knowing God because I was far too intelligent to believe in a God. Mm. I mean, after all, we're taught that every living thing, every bird, every tree, every bush, every flower, all came out of two cells that got together in a mud puddle about 10 billion years ago. Isn't that right? Mm -hmm. So anyway, um, I was driving my then-fiancé's Harley-Davidson Dyna Y-Glide motorcycle when I was uh, broadsided by a pickup truck at an intersection here in Wichita Falls, uh, Seymour Highway going east, uh, east-west and Turtle Creek and Fairway going north-south. I was uh, broadsided by that truck and got knocked 153 feet, six inches. Mm. Like I like to say, the, the 153 feet didn't hurt. It was the six inches when it hit the brick wall. That hurt. Mm. The, um, the litany of damages was... Um, was was pretty severe. They, uh, I lost my left kidney, broke my left wrist. They were going to amputate my right leg, but they said he's going to die anyway. Finally, after three days, they replaced the femur and the tibia fibula with metal rods, but it's still my leg. And this is all unbeknownst to you because you're you're out. You're I, in a coma. I'm in. I'm I'm gone. I'm yeah. not, I have no no. I'm unconscious. Uh, I suffered damage to the frontal lobe of my brain. Uh, so all my friends said, you're a brain damaged lawyer. You, you know, what's your point, Dave? Mm. And, um, uh, my liver and my pancreas were detached and were up in my lungs, which were collapsed. And I'm also, uh, blind in my right eye. Now you have to understand the type of individual I was at that time. At that time, uh, I was 44 years old. I, uh, could bench press 325. I worked out Every day, five days a week, I worked out. I bench pressed 325. I ran six miles three days a week. I was a black belt in Chinese Kenpo Karate. I was a master class USPSA combat pistol shooter. I'm a uh, combat veteran in the United States Air Force. I uh, was in Vietnam. I uh, was a certified rappel instructor. I was a certified canoe instructor. I was a scuba diver. I, uh, I played rugby. I jumped out of airplanes. I was immortal. I think, I think you, did you mention an EMT? Oh yeah. A certified. I, I was a, a certified EMT paramedic. Good night. Uh, what happened was, uh, I had two little baby girls and I wanted to learn first aid for them. So I said, well, where do I learn about this first aid? And, uh, they said, well, you could take red, uh, red cross. 
And but someone tell, told me about this course uh, that I might be able to take mm. where you could become a, uh, 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 an EMT, mm. basic. And I took that. And I thought, hey, this is not bad. I like to do something invasive, like start IVs or intubate. So I took EMT intermediate. And I said, nah, maybe I'd like to, in, uh, to defibrillate and give drugs. So I took EMT paramedic completion. I'm also a certified uh, Texas peace officer. I uh, had an advanced certificate. Went to the FBI sniper training in Grand Lakes, Illinois. And um, like I like to say, I was immortal. I was invincible. So you say all that, and, and to make sure our folks know that don't know your heart yet, you're not saying that to brag. You're not saying that to glorify, look at, look at me, look at me. You're, you're saying you had a lot of reasons on paper to be downright arrogant and, totally. and, and self-sufficient. Totally. Uh, I was licensed to practice law in two states, had been on law review at the University of Oklahoma yeah. law, law School. Lot to lot to be proud of. Very much so, and total, total arrogance. And I will tell you... Um, Lauren, that there were two guys that wrote a book at the turn of the 1900s. Their names were Karl Marx and Frederick Engels. Uh, they bought, uh, they wrote that book called The Communist Manifesto. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and that's one of the books I read. Yeah. And one of the things they said in that book, and I didn't like those two guys, but one of the things that they said I thought made sense was they said that, that religion was the opiate of the masses. Mm. And that made sense to me. You know, if you couldn't solve your own problems, you had to rely on a myth. You had to rely on a fairy tale mm. to somehow get by. And I believed that with my, all my heart at that mm. time. Anyway, I was um, hit, like I say, pretty hard, and they rushed me to the hospital. Fortunately, there was an ambulance that was coming back that was able to take me, and I got to the hospital very quickly. Uh, the doctors told my mom and dad and my fiancé that I would die that day. Then they said, well... Uh, he'll be dead within 72 hours. Then they said, well, he's in a coma, and he'll likely be in that coma forever. But if he ever comes out, he'll be a vegetable. So like I like to say, you're talking to a squash right now. Or as uh, Tanner told me, quit saying squash. Use another vegetable. So I'm a broccoli. (laughs) Yesterday he said you're a broccoli. (laughs) I did that for Tanner. Anyway, um, (laughs) you know, my, my friends all said to me, you know, and you have to understand, at that time, Lauren, uh, I, I told you kind of all the things that I could do. And my friends all said to me, you know, David, you nearly died. Did you see God? I didn't see God, Tanner, I mean, uh, Lauren, but let me tell you what I did see. Hmm. I was standing beside a road out in a field, and there were no trees or bushes or flowers by this road. It was uh, me on one side and about 150, 200 friends, relatives, and business associates of mine that were standing on the other side of the road, and they're all waving at me, and they're all yelling, come back, please, come back, David, come back. And I'm standing there with my hands on my hips looking at them, and I wave, and I yell, I've got to go. And they start crying, no, come back, come back, please, David, come back. And I'm standing there watching them, and I hear and I feel a voice behind me. The voice says, go with them if you want. I said, well, okay. I walked across that road, Lauren, and I woke up from a 45-day coma. Now, who was that behind me? I'm laying in a hospital bed at Baylor Hospital down in Dallas, and I'm recognizing that the doctors and the nurses, number one, they can't believe I'm alive. Number two, they can't believe I can understand what they're talking to me about. Mm. And I'm thinking, 
Could there be a power greater than medical science when it comes to saving lives? Mm. And if there is such a power, what could that power be? And what was that voice behind me? Could there be such a thing as a God? Is that possible? Well, where do you find out about this God? Well, there's a book, actually a collection of 66 books, called The Bible. Now, if you've ever been to my house when I lived out on the lake there at uh, Lake Wellington, one of the rooms I had in this huge house I lived in was a library that I had, and there may have been 4,000, 4,500 volumes of books that I had in my library, and I had never read the Bible. So I asked the nurses to bring me a Bible. Hmm. Three days later, they brought me the King James Version pretty tough but that i looked at tough. it you didn't even know better to go could i get one in 20th century english <laughs> i had no i had no idea i just know it said king james version so i think well this has got to be good <laughs> i looked at it and go well uh where do you start and uh i started page one i read genesis the revelation now understand i read the bible like a, a novel and i didn't understand a lot of what i read and i'll be honest with you uh, frankly, parts of the Old Testament were somewhat boring. John begot Roscoe, Roscoe begot Horace. But it got to the New Testament, and they started talking about this dude named Jesus. Now, I knew who this dude named Jesus supposedly was. But I figured if there ever was an individual named Jesus that lived, that individual had to be a pretty good guy. But a god, a deity, I mean, that's not scientific. And then I decided I would analyze it like a lawyer. There are some accounts in the New Testament from some contemporaries of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And these contemporaries are what lawyers would call witnesses. Now, Lauren, whenever I would cross-examine a witness on the stand, the first thing that I would want to do would be to understand and, and recognize what is motivating that individual to be up there saying what they're saying. Mm. Why are they up there doing this? Is it money? Is it sex? Is it fame? What is it that's doing this? And so I had to ask myself, why would these 11 apostles, and I'm not counting Paul, but why would these 11 apostles, and Judas hanged himself, why would they be writing these things and saying these things about Jesus? Uh, well, I mean, was it the truth? Well, obviously it was, but that's not something that you're going to die for unless it's the greatest truth in the history of the earth. After all, one plus one is two, but you're not going to die for one plus one is two. These guys died for something. Maybe the most important thing that ever happened in human history. And um, when I ask these questions, you know, you have to say they weren't made governors of provinces of nation, uh, governors of provinces, mm. mayors of nation, they weren't uh, given of cities, power, no. or any. They weren't made. They weren't given money. And in fact. Uh, they didn't become influencers on YouTube. In the, in the slightest. In fact, history teaches us that of the 11 apostles, 10 were put to death for mm. what they wrote and what they said. And they tried to uh, uh, boil John to death, and they couldn't, so they exiled him to the island of Patmos. So these guys died for something like this. And so I then go to my next level of analysis on this. I go, well, were these 11 guys, were they as powerful militarily as the Roman Empire? No. Were they as powerful militarily as the Persian Empire? No. Well, then explain how 11 uneducated, impoverished nobodies from a one-horse town in the Middle East changed the world. 
that's pretty impressive. And then I like to focus on my favorite character in the New Testament. And my favorite character in the New Testament is this guy named Peter. Mm. And Peter, he's cool. I mean, he's just this big dummy, and he's just cool. I like him. <laughs> and here's Peter. He's out there fishing with his brother Andrew. And Jesus comes walking out there on the shore and looks out there and he says, Hey, Simon, Peter, come with me and be a fisher of men. Simon looks at his brother Andrew and says, let's go. And so they drop their nets and they follow Jesus. Now, you have to understand how Jewish society was at that time. They took every male Jewish child and they were taught the first five books of the Old Testament, what they called the Pentateuch. And then they would take the best of those kids and they were taught the rest of the Old Testament. And then they would take the best of the best to become disciples of a rabbi, a teacher. Well, like I like to say, it doesn't take a brain surgeon to figure out Peter didn't make the cut because nope. he's out there fishing with his brother <laughs> Andrew. and But now he's got a chance to be a disciple. So here he goes, and he's with Jesus during Jesus' three years of active ministry. He sees Jesus walk on water. He sees Jesus feed 5,000 men, not counting the women and children, with five loaves of bread and seven fish. He sees Jesus make the blind see, the deaf hear, the mute speak. He sees people with horrible skin disease come up to touch his, the hem of his robe to be cured. He sees people cut a hole in a roof and lower him down so that a guy could be touched and walk again. He sees, people, he sees Jesus raise people from the dead. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? And actually the word, the Greek word that Jesus used was agape. And Peter, being the way he was, said, oh, yes, Lord, I phileo. Phileo being the Greek for brotherly love. And so Jesus lowers it. Do you, do you brotherly love me? Do you phileo? Yes, Lord, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Why do you keep asking me this? Because you will deny me tonight three times before the crock crows. No, I won't. Yeah, you will. And sure enough, here comes Judas leading the soldiers to arrest Jesus. They ask Jesus, uh, Jesus asked these soldiers, uh, who are you looking for? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And he goes, I am he. Mm -hmm. And when he says that, they all hit the ground. It's pretty amazing. The fight's on. Peter pulls the sword out, cuts this dude's ear off. Jesus says, calm down, Peter. I'll see you in three days. And later that night, Peter's walking around. Hey, weren't you one of them guys that Jesus that got arrested? I don't know who you're talking about. You're one of them dudes with that Jesus guy that's in prison now, aren't you? Not me. I don't know who you're, you're speaking of. You're one of those Galileans that's with Jesus that's now in prison. I've never heard of Jesus, don't know anything about him, and don't want to know anything about him. About that time, the cock crowed, and we're sitting here 2,000 years later, and what I can tell you exactly what went through Peter's mind when that happened. It was, oh my gosh, he was right again. Mm. Three days later, Peter and the other ten apostles are hiding out, worried that the Sanhedrin are going to come get them. Jesus comes walking through a locked door like it's nothing. The first words out of, Peter, out of Jesus' mouth aren't, let's go, let's go, let's go. The first words out of Jesus' mouth are, peace be with you. And these guys get filled with the Holy Spirit. And they go out and they change the world. 
Now, the cool part about Peter is he winds his way through the Middle East, and he's preaching there, and he finally ends up in Rome, and he's preaching the gospel to the Romans, and he's teaching them that your God's not Caesar, your God's in heaven. And it irritates the Roman authorities. So they arrest Peter, and they tell him, we are going to crucify you. And Peter, as you know, tells the Romans, I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Crucify me upside down. And so the Romans, Ooh. being the accommodating folks that they are, <laughs> said, if that's the way you want to die, that's the way you're going to die. So they execute him by um, crucifixion upside down. And I'm sitting here learning and reading about this. I'm going, wait a minute, wait a minute. How do you go from Jesus who to crucify me upside down? Mm. So I began to think at that time that there may be something that needs to be learned about this. Mm. So after they sent me to rehab, and that, that's another story, but after they sent me to rehab and I got back to Wichita Falls, I began searching for a church. And I went to several around town, and, and they were fine, but nothing really just set me off. And one of my friends told me that they heard that I was looking for a church to go to, and I told him, yeah, I want to learn more about this God. I, I think there is one, and I want to learn about this God. And they said, well, we heard about a pretty cool church called Colonial. I said, where's it at? You know, and they go, it's over by the mall. I said, oh, okay. Uh, what denomination? It's Baptist. It's Baptist. Me go to a Baptist church? And um, they said, hey, we just heard it's pretty cool. Give it a shot. So I showed up here, and it was 2001. Rick Thompson was our pastor at that time. And I never heard music like this at a church, number one. And then Rick got up, and he began preaching. And he wasn't preaching about how you're bad and you're going to go to hell. He was preaching about how to be a better person, a better Christian. And it really struck home with me what he was saying. And then their executive pastor gets up and says, for those that might be interested, we're having newcomers class this afternoon. And I thought, hmm, could this be a coincidence? You know, never heard music like this at a church, never heard sermon like this, and they just happened to have their newcomers class this afternoon. So I went to it, and I told them I wanted to be baptized, and um, they, told, uh, they asked me... Uh, if I'd been baptized, no, they asked me if I'd been baptized, and I told them yes, and they said, where, when, and I said, well, it was 1954, my mom had me baptized at Wiesbaden Air Force Base, Germany, and they said, were you Catholic, and I said, my mom was, and they said, well, the Baptist faith, we, uh, we uh, ask that you make a conscious acceptance of Christ as your Lord and Savior, and I told them I would, and it was on June the 15th of 2001 when I was baptized here at Colonial, and I have been uh, attending ever since. And I can tell you that uh, based on my reading of the Bible and my journey that's coming on, that I'm convinced that uh, what Jesus said in Matthew 18, 12 is so true. As he talked about the shepherd that left the 99, they let, Christ left to follow me, find me, because I was that lost sheep. There's no Ooh. question about that. And... Also, I want to, to tell the people that there are those that say to me, you know, David, you know, uh, do you ever feel pain or, or suffering or do you ever have uh, regret that you can't do the things that you used to do because of your injuries? Mm. And I can tell you this, Pastor, I, uh, I do feel pain in my leg, and it is tough to get up and down stairs like you saw Sunday. Uh, 
but uh, Paul put this in perspective when he said, when he talked about God, he said, his strength is glorified in my weakness. And that's the way I feel about it. Mm. I love it. That oozes out of you. I love your, I love your thirst for knowledge early on. That's just, that's consistent with who you were before you were, you wanted to accomplish, you wanted to learn, you wanted to discover. And yet in your broken state, that turned to something really important and valuable. I love, I love your love for Peter. I share that love for Peter. He's my favorite knucklehead. Yeah, in the whole yeah, yeah, he's made it. Um, I love the role that Colonial has served uh, in different, uh, even even with different leadership in pastors over the years. But the, this has been your church home for twenty years. Yes, sir. Um, I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you this. Uh, I feel like you, despite the fact that you have been a follower of Jesus for for reasonable amount of time now, nineteen twenty years at the time, but twenty years you had a breakthrough just this past year when it came to the issue of forgiveness. Can oh, you, yes. Can you tell us about that? Uh, if, and, and especially in light of just some regret of the choices you've made, the people you've hurt, I think specifically in light of your divorce. Exactly. Uh, tell us about that. Uh, I, I hope I don't tear up. Um, I was divorced in 1994, and uh, I had been married for 12 years. I had two little baby girls. But to me, pastor at that time, marriage was a contract. It was a matter of convenience. It was a matter of as long as I was getting something from you, you know, to to uh, offset my commitment and my expenditure, then we were fine. But when it got past that, God wasn't a part of our marriage because he wasn't a part of my life. Mm. And so I was willing to uh, to give up on my marriage. In fact, I committed adultery. When I accepted Christ in 2001 and I began reading more and more and reading about how God, that's one of the big no-nos is adultery, I want you to know that I have, I have suffered eternal, internally for 20 years about knowing that I had committed that sin and that it has got to have grieved God and that how could an abject sinner, someone that did something like that, in any way merit any mercy from our God. Mm. Our God is he's pure. He's powerful. He's not going to put up with that. And then last year, you did a sermon on uh, Jesus and the uh, adulteress. I think it was last year. Maybe it was earlier this year. But I can't remember. But I know this. It was, uh, I, I will never forget it. Um, Jesus, uh, the uh, the Pharisees took this woman that was a uh, uh, known adulteress. She'd been caught in flagrante delecto, from what I'm reading in the Bible. From, and, from uh, John chapter 8, by the way. Thank yeah. you. And uh, took, him, took her to Jesus and said, uh, you know, we're going to stone you. What say you, Jesus? And Jesus is sitting there kind of scrawling stuff in the dirt as he's kneeling down. And he looks at these guys, and he stands up, and he says, you who are without sin cast the first stone. And so they kind of looked and they said, well, and each of them kind of dropped their rocks and began to walk away. And Jesus looked at the woman and said, is there no one left to condemn you? And she said, no. And he said, then neither do I go and sin no more. And it, 
it's you know I had read that before, but it kind of just it never took me and grabbed a hold of me what he was saying, and that was, yeah, as long as you repent and don't do it again, he forgives. Don't do it anymore. I mean, he accepts your guilt. He gives you grace that you don't deserve, and that's pretty incredible. And I will never forget that, Pastor. Mm. Mm. I remember that viscerally. I remember you, bluntly put, you were a hot mess. You were, <laughs> you had tears streaming down your face. You're red in the face. Yeah. And it was a reminder, 20 years in to your journey with Christ. Exactly. Having read that many, many times, God had a new, powerful word for you. He did. He did. And He's not done with us. You That's know, amazing. He's not, He's not done healing us. He's not done growing us up. Um, I would add in the context of, you know, sharing boldly as we talked about yesterday and you helped us with on stage. Uh, I made a comment to, in our recording earlier to Brooke that I really feel like guys like you, women like, like at your, that have come to Christ later in life as adults are inspirations to us in that you are like, why, why wouldn't we tell everybody about this? Because you have, I think you have just a, a more vivid memory of what life was like before. Exactly. I think for those of us that grew up in the church that were, quote, Christians by osmosis, you know, we, we thought we were. That's my story, is I thought I was a Christian as a kid. Uh, it wasn't until I was 20 where I, I think I would say I owned my own faith. So for me to talk about life before Jesus is a little harder. You know, I was a child, I was a teenager. You have memories of marriage. You have memories of fatherhood. You have memories of, of practicing law, of, of buying creature comforts, of going on trips all before Jesus. And you're able to compare and contrast so viscerally. Oh, my goodness. Why wouldn't we tell the world? Why wouldn't we share boldly? Yeah. So you're, you're an inspiration to me and to, to a lot of us to, to really rethink, does the world need to hear about him? <laughs> He, the world does, and Pastor, one thing that I wanted to point out with regard to uh, sharing and, and, and sharing boldly is Jesus commanded us to go out and make disciples of the world. And, you know, he, the more I, I study the Bible, I, the more I began to recognize that Jesus was pretty cool about the words that he used. He didn't say to go out and make believers of people. He said, go out and make disciples. Mm. And there's a difference between a disciple and a believer. Mm. Uh, like I like to ask my, whenever I have a new study group that we're doing on, in the fall, I always ask the people around the room, are you a believer? And they all answer yes. And after I go around the room and ask each individual if they're a believer and they answer affirmatively, I look to everybody and say, y'all are believers. Well, that's good because Satan and all his demons are believers as well. And I go, now you're going to learn the difference between being a believer and a disciple. Mm. And there is a difference. And that's what I want to be, Pastor. I want to be a disciple of Christ. Mm. Well, I just want to affirm you. Keep doing what you're doing. I love that you're leading a couple small groups of men uh, trying to mentor and and bless. Uh, I love that you uh, just prioritize being a part of our faith community. I know when you're not there, you're up with your daughters in Oklahoma. Uh, at Council Road Baptist Church. Council Road Baptist and, Church, where, Rick, where uh, Rick, Rick Thompson, Thompson now serves. He's yeah. our 
our longest tenured pastor here at Colonial. He was here for, I believe, 12 years. And now he's been up to, at, I think he's been at Council Road for 18, 19 years. He's been there since um, uh, 2004. Yeah. I love that your connection there. What a small world. Well, he, he, ba- he, he, uh, he baptized me. Yeah. So. Way cool. Way cool. Well, David, thank you for sharing. Thank you for taking the time. Uh, I think uh, people can recognize David by his, his uh, limp, uh, recognize David by his obnoxious OU gear, um, big smile front row. I would just invite any of our listeners to come up, uh, thank him for sharing, ask him a question, uh, ask him for prayer. Uh, he's, one, he's one of our brothers here, and uh, he would love to, to be accessible and bless you guys. So, David, thanks for sharing with us today. Thank you for having me, Pastor. Blessings, brother. Christos Neste.